1: That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No process by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty
0: Thank you for listening to the Late Breaking F1 Podcast. Make sure to look out for new episodes every Thursday and Grand Prix Sundays. Hello and a very warm welcome to the Late Breaking F1 Podcast. My name's Ben Hocking. Thank you, as always, for joining us and keeping us company. Harry joins me and uh, Sam. Sam, if you're not a moron, say something now. I, I can't hear anything. Um, Confirmed. <laughs> you might have uh, you might have guessed that Sam, unfortunately, can't be with us this evening. You know, Wi-Fi issues is the actual reason. But if you have a more exciting reason than that, then please do let us know on Twitter at our breaking. We'd mm. love to know why is Sam not here today? <laughs> Who knows? Uh, <laughs> let us know on that one. I mean, Harry, do you think we'll, we'll survive without him?
1: Uh, I mean, I think we'll survive. I just think we'll have a you know a much shorter podcast. I think we'll we'll find out at the end how short this one is. But um, yeah, without Sam here, there will be no ridiculous analogies, which in truth we're all going to miss.
0: Exactly. I mean, I would give a few examples of, of ways in which Sam's points will go into random objects and things, but they're so random that you can't really even even joke about guessing it. You, you never yeah. know. You never know. But regardless, we do have uh, a great show for you tonight. We've got uh, we're going to look at some drivers that are under pressure this year, which ones we think maybe after the first race, maybe that's changed at all, who knows, we'll be discussing that one later on. Track limits seem to be the uh, the talk of the week after what happened at the weekend, so we're going to weigh in on that debate and whether the stewards need to take a different view of, of track limits generally. But first of all, we're going to look at Sebastian Vettel, uh, an interesting quote actually from David Coulthard, of course, 13-time race winner in F1. In an interview with Formula One News, um, he said that he just doesn't see how Sebastian Vettel is going to rediscover that mojo of his. He did say that he's an asset to the team and a safe pair of hands, but he suggested that if Lance Stroll can do to Vettel what Leclerc did to Vettel at Ferrari, Seb might not finish the season. So, Harry, what what's your initial reaction to that quote?
1: Well, I mean, first of all, I've had this weirdly the same conversation with my so my dad and David Coulthard the comparison right there is a strange one but they agree on this one my dad also thinks that uh, Seb Vett's not going to finish the season which I was like don't be ridiculous but now DC's saying the same thing so maybe my dad is actually right thinking there you go dad shout out for you on the podcast anyway <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah I, look I don't I don't know when this article was dated was it after the first race was it before? I believe so. I believe so, yeah. After the first one, right. Um, Look, it wasn't a fantastic race for Seb in Bahrain. I think we can all all agree there. Um, I wouldn't want... You know, I think it's a bit too early to write him off in the sense that he's not going to rediscover that form. I think what's difficult is that uh, the Aston Martin, you know, isn't necessarily the same car it was last... I mean, it is the same car, but at the same... uh, Design around the rear end, shall we say? It's got the same issue as Mercedes in the the low rate cars, so to, so to speak, are um, struggling this year. So I think that's a factor in why Seb struggled. But I think it's it's uh, it's quite early on to write his chances off of rediscovering his mojo this year. I don't know. Um, I think it's a difficult difficult one to call whether he'll uh, you know return to the levels we saw in. 2011, 2013. I think maybe that's unlikely. I don't think we're expecting, you know, championship winning levels of Sebastian Vettel. But I think he can get to a place where he's, you know, he's he's a solid, quick driver again. I mean, we we saw um, it wasn't that long ago that he was, you know, 2019. He was still getting a couple of poles. He got a win in that Ferrari. Again, wasn't his best year, but he's still at the speed there. So um. It's not that long ago that he was still being being a good driver, so I, you know I think it's easy to forget that perhaps. But um, yeah, look, I, I would, I, I think I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I think he'll definitely see out of the year. I don't think Leclerc, I don't think Stroll was going to do what Leclerc did necessarily. Um, and we know Leclerc is god, obviously. So he 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 makes people feel bad um, about their driving skills. Um, but yeah, I think it's too early on to, to say that Seb won't finish the year. If we're here in six races time and things haven't improved, then I'd say maybe that's more likely. But for now, I will give him the benefit of the doubt, I think.
0: It would be it would be strange timing, even if he did end up losing out to Landstraw. Obviously, we don't know what's going to happen between those two guys for the rest of this season, but it would be... Peculiar timing to move away from Formula One or to move away from the team directly before what's going to happen next year. Of of course, we know that the the regulation changes are happening next year. We know that Aston Martin have a very definite plan to not only contend for a championship, but win a championship within the next five years. And admittedly, the last team that made that prediction was Renault and that's going gloriously well. (laughs) But, you know... They have clear ambition there. So I I, I think that Vettel is invested in, in the team longer term than one season and I don't think it would serve him particularly well to to take this one season walk away um and then just sit on the sidelines as Aston Martin potentially improve next year and the year after that and then maybe do go on to at least contend for the championships but maybe even win them as well you know vettel vettel's definitely still got you know the hunger to to win titles all the F1 drivers have the hunger to win the title if they've got the opportunity to do so so from Vettel's perspective, I think he will at least stick out this season and actually actually next season as well. Um maybe if if things aren't better in 2022 he reconsiders, but I would be I'd be pretty surprised if he walked away. And I don't I don't like to go against Harry's dad cuz he's a knowledgeable man, but I am going to have to on this one. <laughs> I'm going to have to on this one. Sorry. Um in terms of his his mojo and his his general pace you know you, you're right in what you say harry that it's it's race 1 and it, it, you really shouldn't rush to too many conclusions after just one race uh, and ultimately from from Aston martin's perspective on this you have to look at what what they were getting with vettel and and also what they were giving away and when you look at both of those things it makes sense that they wouldn't they wouldn't give this up after such a short period of time so First of all, what are they getting? They're getting a a four-time world champion. They are getting a a driver who has been out of sorts for the last couple of years. Um, but you know, they, they fully understand that that is what they're getting. And then you know, you're, you're never going to be able to right all of the wrongs. On that first race weekend, there's going to be bumps in the road and and Vettel, you know, it's down to him and it's down to the team to work that out as the year goes on. But if you're expecting race one, a driver who was already out of sorts at Ferrari goes into a brand new team and suddenly isn't out of sorts. I think that's expecting quite a lot. And ultimately, you have to look here at what Aston Martin were willing to give up to get Sebastian Vettel. They were willing to give up the driver who... Has got their only race win in the last seventeen years. They were willing to give up. uh, You know, if if you're going back to other forms of the team, of course. But you know that they're willing to give up a driver who of their of the last ten podiums they've got, he's got seven of them. They were willing to give up Sergio Perez. He was the most experienced driver for a team. Outside of Lewis Hamilton last season, he was the only driver that had been there for the entirety outside of Hamilton for the hybrid era. They were willing to give all of that up for Sebastian Vettel. So a few bad results, and and they're just gonna they're just gonna get rid of him, or or his mojo is not bad. They they have they they need to do their due diligence. They at least need to find out whether his mojo is there. I think at the moment we are uncertain. Is the old Sebastian Vettel still there? Yes or no? And I don't think anyone truly knows the answer to that question. And the only way you're going to find it out is by giving him time and and letting him work it out himself. So I'm intrigued to see how it goes. I think I think Vettel's there for at least the medium term. I don't think he he sees this as a, a one year thing. And I don't think the team look at it that way
1: either. And if Sam was here right now, he would make some point about Vettel' weird analogy, and then somehow would bring the point around to to hating Valtteri Bottas. Oh, that
0: yeah. would end
1: the point. Yeah, yeah,
0: something along the lines of you know, Vettel is very much like a um, a Kinder Bueno. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's really uncanny. Um, and yeah, Valtteri Bottas can't stand the guy. <laughs> we 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 just we just of course we of course we just um i mean this Vettel situation i it is only one race do you think just looking at his performance in bahrain alone and uh, we've already said that you can't draw too many conclusions from from that race do you think that that it was sort of set in qualifying you know he was obviously starting right at the back in a car that he didn't have that many laps during testing. Do you think
1: that it was a pretty much a write-off after qualifying? Um, I mean, it, it absolutely didn't help, did it? I mean, yeah, his he, he start, he put himself back in kind of contention for the points with his start because by the end of lap one or two, he was up into 14th. And then he was on that really, a uh, very Checo Perez strategy, I must, I must say, on the old one-stop uh Maybe they just forgot who the driver was in the car. I don't know, but um, it it looked like it could pay off. He was he was potentially on course for for maybe tenth, maybe getting that last point spot. I don't know. Um, so look, it wasn't. I don't it, without the incident with Ocon. I actually don't think it was turning into a. It wasn't an amazing race, but I don't think it was turning into a bad race for him. I think he'd done almost as much as he he potentially good could do in that car, considering the amount of time he's had in it. Amount of time he's had with the team, um, yeah. I, look, I don't, I don't think qualifying completely set his his uh, results for the weekend, but it absolutely didn't help him starting right at the back of the grid, and it was just unfortunate. I think that he caught those yellow flags, got the penalty, but um, yeah. Again, I, I don't think we should judge too much from the qualifying pace because we know he can, we know he can qualify well. He's just got to have the car underneath him, so it's another case of just giving him a couple more races um but yeah he obviously won't want to start at the back of the grid too many times because it's not something he does he's had to do very often if we're being honest um more so in recent times but yeah he's just obviously going to want to have better Saturday I think better weekends in general because I think they had a problem in practice on Friday as well so I just need to, a clear a clear weekend will help massively I think
0: yeah I think I think the the best thing for Vettel during the weekend was getting that 55 laps complete you know regardless of the result that like he was able to at least get some laps under his belt and get that experience that you know apart I I think he might have done the fewest laps of of any of the drivers in in preseason testing, which is never, never something you want, but particularly when it's your, your driver that is new to the team, that makes it even worse. And yeah, I mean, like you say, they've been plagued by these by these issues really since the start of the season. And you know, I I, I think overall, yeah, you, you, you're right. What you say it wasn't shaping up to be an awful race, even if he wasn't on course quite to get P10. He he was definitely on course to finish around that sort of alfa romeo p11 p p12 or so um of course esteban ocon who he collided with was the next position after that so you know he would have been in and around the points even if he wasn't quite there um and ultimately i'm not i'm not certain he was on a great strategy as well i, I know it was a it was a different strategy i think ultimately what they had to do because it was pretty clear it was going to be a two stop race for all of the teams you know when Pirelli the graphic comes up at the beginning of the race and it's not always entirely accurate but both of the recommended strategies were two stops and I think ultimately they had they had the choice they could either go for the one stop or they could go for the three stop they had to do one or the other just to be different and I think the one stop before the race actually made more sense because you know starting at the back it just makes more sense to to stop less that's just how it generally works but i think as the race unfolded it actually appeared that the three stop was probably quicker than the one stop as well as the two stop being quicker than the one stop i'd I'd be very (laughs) interested to see what he would have been able to do if he was on that three stop actually um i mean it's first uh, first of all to say i mean that that it's brilliant that we can discuss all three of those strategy options as being viable like 2012 where are you (laughs) honestly it's the dream to have a one-stop a two-stop and a three-stop race all be viable and you've got people you've got drivers trying all of them but i think overall that one stop might not have actually helped him out there
1: yeah i think that's a fair point especially uh, that's kind of where the clumsy collision came from wasn't it when he's defending from a car that's faster than him not not to make an excuse for 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 the for the crash but um if he's on a, on attack, does that collision happen? I'd say less likely, but anyway.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, pros and cons to, to both. I mean, well, we'll have to see what happens when he gets to Imola. Of course, it's a completely different circuit. Bahrain lends itself to overtaking much more than, than Imola does. So, you know, if he finds himself in a similar position, I think a one-stop might be much more effective there. But of course, Vettel will be hoping that he's not even in that position to begin with and he can he can qualify higher up the grid. I mean, speaking of Bahrain, uh track limits, lasting advantage, is the uh is the favorite oh. phrase of the week. Oh. Every- everyone's loving that one. So as as we know, it's been the centre of the controversy this week, uh, the overtake or the overtake that was, or the, the overtake that wasn't, I should say, Max Verstappen trying to go around the outside of Lewis Hamilton at turn four, successfully getting it done, but off track had to give the position back. I mean, we discussed the move in our review podcast that you can check out and we'll be going to much more depth about that move specifically there um but we'll we'll look at this a bit more generally in terms of track limits, so is there a need for the stewards to to look at this and to implement something of a standardized approach to this?
1: Yes, <laughs> like for the love of God, yes, stop, stop letting them do it on a Friday practice session, like first practice, second practice you implement the rules, same for quality, then you get to the race, and the rules are different again. it doesn't make any sense. It, I think what makes it worse is that if you're playing the F1 2020 game, their rules are more stringent and that's, you know, not real. So, um, yeah, why, why they can't develop that kind of system? Because, you know, say it is like the F1 2020 game where you run wide three times, do it three times, you get a three-second penalty or five-second penalty. Just make it black and white, uh, and make it clear that, that is what happens because it, there's so much ambiguity around 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 track limits in general, not just that turn four corner. We've seen it all all of last year. Um, it's all the Sky F1 team talk about in free practice, unfortunately, which is a shame. But um, yeah, there just, just needs to be c- clearer rules because it, it's it's we're ending up in these situations where. Uh, we have these like, controversial moments where you know between between two the two leaders of the race, and I know Max gave it back and it was all fine, but yeah, it's just it's just frustrating when you see the the like, and I'm not blaming this is not me blaming Hamilton, but Hamilton went over that white line like 29 times in a row before getting told off. And why do you have to wait for the 29th time before giving them a warning? Say don't do that anymore because you're not even on the track by a mile. So. Yeah, it's it's just frustrating. I mean, thank God we're going to Imola because if you try that there, you will be in the boonies. So that's absolutely fine. But um, yeah, I, I, uh, there needs to be some kind of change, and I think they need to implement it from the start of the weekend. Don't wait. Don't wait for you know Friday practice and see where the drivers are going off the track. Just say, don't go off the track anywhere. Anywhere you go out outside the white lines, your lap time's invalidated. Be like a form game. On strict corner cutting, please, Michael Massey.
0: Yeah, I mean, throwing it back to this whole lasting advantage thing and, you know, overtakes not being acceptable when you go off track at, say, turn four, but you are able to, as Hamilton did 30 times or so, was able to go as as wide as he wants to. And again, I mean, it's not not throwing shade at Hamilton at all. He was just taking advantage of the flimsy rules that were in place. And I'm sure plenty of others um, did as well. So, you know, you you can't... Don't hate the player, hate the game in this scenario. And it's as Martin Brundle on Sky said quite a few times, is that if you're allowed to do that, and that is off track, it is quite a black and white issue why can't you just skip turn one a la Johnny Herbert in the Bahrain uh, in, the, uh, in the F1 game last year? I mean, you know, why can't you do that? It's just as off track as the turn four incident is. And ultimately, if you've got a situation where Verstappen, of course, he tried to go around the outside, left the circuit, had to hand the position back. So it's deemed he has gained a lasting advantage. But if Hamilton goes over that line twenty-nine times, let's just say, for example, that he gains a tenth every time he does it. Um, so you know he's he's gaining you know, three seconds overall. Who's to say that that overtake doesn't then lead to uh, you know a pit stop overtake where there's a difference in strategy? Hamilton comes out a second ahead of Verstappen. I mean, this is hypothetical, and because of the amount of times he's cut the corner, he's actually got the overtake done. They wouldn't ask him to hand that one back, but surely it's just as much of a just as much of a move, um, you, you know. In terms of disincentivising corner cutting, I mean walls generally are pretty good at that. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, failing that, gravel gravel's fairly yeah. good at disincentivising. Grass is still pretty useful, so I I understand that that's not doable at all corners, and I, this is a debate that we've had. Not only at Bahrain as well. Bahrain's not the worst one. Kota probably takes that trophy um, in terms of ability to cut the corners. But, you know, you, you have to find a way to artificially dis- disincentivise them when those physical properties like grass and gravel and walls aren't there. And you've mentioned you, you've mentioned uh, the F1 game. I've literally got written down here, take the Codemasters approach. <laughs> you... And I, I know you, you you threw it out there as something that F1 does where you cut the corner three times and you get a three-second time penalty. I, I wouldn't change it. I would literally implement exactly that. Because, I you know, regardless... Let's just take the Turn 4 incident, for example. You're basically, at that point, getting penalised one second for every time you do it. And you're never gaining one second every time you do it. So... Soon enough, the drivers are going to realize, hey, you know what? This is probably not worth it. And they're going to stop doing it. You know, the only reason they're doing it now is that it can gain a little bit of time every time they do it. So if you take that element away from it and you start to give out these penalties, either they're going to start finishing lower than they think they should do or they'll stop doing it. Um which is obviously the aim here. So yeah, I, I, I don't say this often, but I think Codemasters are probably spot on with this one. Um you know. Just just be really be really clear about it. I think this is an issue actually that a lot of people are overcomplicating. It's this is on track, this is off track. <laughs> if you go off track, this happens. Full stop. You know. Yeah qualifying and practice your time is deleted if it happens in the race and it happens three times you give out the penalty whether that's three seconds two seconds five seconds whatever it happens to be as long as you put that in place beforehand go for it you know and you know be just be clear that that's probably the number one thing is be clear what is on track what is off track tell the drivers that on the thursday if you do this if you are this much over this line you will be penalized and then they haven't got an excuse to go back on the Sunday and say, why well, was I penalized? We told you on Thursday. So, you know, even if, even if I don't necessarily agree with the the penalty that they do, let, let, let's say that, I don't know, they, they give a one second penalty rather than a, than a three second penalty. Even if I don't agree with the amount of seconds that it should be, as long as you're clear about it and you're consistent with it, I don't care. Just, just, be those two things. I mean, the stewards try and avoid consistency like it's the plague, but maybe give it a go. <laughs> it might be worth it.
1: Good. Well, nice one. I think the lesson for everyone here is be more code masters. I think that's what we're going to take away from this. Um, yeah. And it's I, a, a solid I, policy.
0: As, as we've both said, I mean, it's not really going to be an issue at, at Imola. I'm trying to think if there's. I mean, there's not really many places that you'd gain much time is there, but... Nah. Turn one at Algarve, that one could be uh, one to look out for, see what they do there.
1: But do you, mem- do you remember last year at Algarve, they... Uh, was it Grosjean who, in the race, he went over three times or something and got a penalty? He got an actual penalty for track limits. What was? Why can we not do that all the time?
0: Yeah, I mean, usually the policy is three warnings, four black and white flags, another warning, then two more black and white flags, and then the threat of a penalty, and then a black and white flag. That's usually the way it goes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. Never mind. Never mind. (laughs) Alright,
0: moving on. (laughs) Moving on to our final topic. Which drivers are under the most pressure to perform this year, and Has Bahrain changed that at all? Um, I mean, of the 20 drivers, are there any names that stick out to you that really need to
1: perform this year where maybe their career or their seat is on the line? Um, There's actually surprisingly quite a few when I was thinking about this. Um, Valtteri Bottas, uh, I think... Almost every year is a year for him to perform. And, you know, I, actually, to be fair, in a way, I think it's almost out of his hands. But he at least needs to have a better weekend than he did in Bahrain. I think he can't do that all year. He can't let uh, he can't let Hamilton and Max be so far up the road because it's only going to prove to Mercedes, if they didn't realise it already, how much they actually need Hamilton because a competitive Max Verstappen could easily wipe the floor with Bottas, which is obviously a worrying prospect if Hamilton decides to retire. So I think uh, Bottas needs to continue to have his game version up for the 53rd time probably now. Um, Who else? Esteban Ocon. I think we've spoken about him before. I think he needs to have a big year. I mean, the poor guy keeps being thrown bad hands. You know, teammate to Daniel Ricciardo. Teammate, now teammate to Fernando Alonso, and to be fair to Ocon, I think the latter end of last, uh, the the end of yeah, the last end of last year, he was starting to get a handle on that car and was getting closer to Ricardo. And then you know the weekend just gone, Alonso was, I mean Alonso was just being Alonso. So I don't think Ocon, was, you know, necessarily doing a bad job. He just wasn't doing an Alonso job, um, which is obviously god godlike along with Leclerc. So yeah, Ocon is another one. Uh who else to have we've already mentioned him, Sebastian Vettel. I think he's he's got a big year ahead of him. It's not necessarily decisive on whether he stays, but I think you know he he'll want to just prove people wrong more than anything else. Um so yeah, another big year for him. Who else is who else is gonna have a big year? Jovanazzi. He's probably the fourth and final one I can think of. Um is it is this his last year anyway? Quite possibly. I guess it depends what old man Raikkonen does after this year but I would not bet against him being there in 2022 I just wouldn't I think he'll keep going forever he just doesn't I think all he wants to do is drive an F1 car and he doesn't know what else to do so um, yeah that probably Giovinazzi's fate probably depends on that but he needs to prove that he's as quick as or this year quicker because we saw him beat him in qualifying on occasions last year so um, yeah I think they're the four most likely candidates can't think of anyone else yeah I'll go with those four.
0: I mean, just to focus on just focus on Giovinazzi for the second, because I I agree with you that I think it is a fairly important year and this is largely hypothetical. But let's say the two Haas guys, of course, Mick Schumacher is Ferrari Academy, but based on them both being rookies, I think there's a good chance that they'll stick with that lineup for 2022, in which case any other Ferrari juniors probably aren't going to go through the Haas system. So if someone like Schwartzman or Armstrong is to make the move up next year. It's probably going to have to go through Alfa Romeo. Say that Kimi Räikkönen wants to stick around for another year because you know I mean he's not seventy yet. Do you, what do you <laughs> think? What do you think that Giovinazzi would have to do to stave off the threat of someone like a Schwartzman?
1: Yeah, I mean this is kind of my point I'd, what, about whether it's actually in Giovinazzi's hand. Is he just there? I don't know maybe I was, we were surprised that Giovinazzi stayed on last year they could have put Ilot in the car they could have put Schwartzman um yeah so maybe they do, do see something in him but I, I think he'd have to he'd have to consistently start beating Kimmy um he's got got no other option um because you know they're not going I don't see them getting rid of Kimmy to be honest because if they bring in a say they bring in a rookie they're going to want Probably going to want Kimmy there as, a, as an old pair of hands, they the training of their rookie? So, um, yeah, I just think Giovanazzi's got to be slightly more consistent because I, I think he, he has shown some real brilliant speed. He's just got a tendency to throw it off the road o- on occasions and he likes to throw it off the road in quite big ways, which I admire. You know, can, can, uh, can't fault the guy for having big crashes, but um, yeah, I think he just needs to iron, iron that out because, you know, if, if he can up that consistency, then. He could be a semi decent midfield driver, but um, yeah, I think that's that's his real issue. So uh, I didn't see where I can't remember where he finished. Did he finish in front of Reichen or not? Did they even finish the race? Twelve. He was in the end. Eleven to twelve. King. Ah, 11th to twelve. Well, there you go. They're about the same. So yeah, s- some better results, more consistent results for Giovanotti. I think.
0: Yeah, I, I think it is about unlocking that consistency. I don't think he's done it yet, and whether he can do it at all is still a little bit of a question mark. He had a pretty good qualifying at the weekend. He um, he did quite a bit better than Reich and, and did in qualifying. Led Raikkonen early on in the Bahrain Grand Prix, um, and we, you know the, the Alfa Romeos didn't get that much in terms of camera time. But one of the things we did hear from the Alfa Romeos was Raikkonen being directly behind Jovanazzi asking, "Can he move out of the way?" So it does kind of point to that consistency of he got it done in qualifying. And generally speaking, he does in at least against Kimi do a reasonable job in qualifying. But then it's that in that race scenario where he hasn't quite got it nailed down yet, and you know it... it if he finds himself in a situation where his teammate is asking to for him to let him by, if that happens too many times, then that's telling Alfa Romeo something, um, and it's not something that's good for him and his future prospects. Um, you know, I I I do think he's I I, I do think he's a solid driver. I, I I I agree with you. He does seem to throw it away in spectacular ways occasionally, and. The good news is, I do think he needs to beat Kimi Raikkonen this year, and he might have the opportunity to do so. Not necessarily as a as any slander towards Kimi, but just because last year the car was, you know, the Alpha car was poor last year to the point where no one driver could really beat the other one. Um, it's a bit, it's a bit like the George Russell at Williams scenario where you know he's obviously a brilliant driver shows it as much as he can but when the points when you look at the points at the end of the year it doesn't really show much and i think it was very much that same situation with Alfa Romeo last year whereas this year it does appear as if that car might have a bit more about it and i think they will score more points than they did last year which might give jovanovic the a bit the it might give him the ability to to go in, out there and and win in terms of points and win with some conviction it'll be interesting to see on that one I mean, on, uh, another name you picked up on was, was Valtteri Bottas. And I agree with you that it's a big year. I still think that he is absolutely at the mercy of Lewis Hamilton. And, you know, yeah. the, the situation is if if Hamilton commits to Mercedes long term, Bottas's stock value goes down massively because they'll have the stability of Hamilton there for years to the point where they could promote a George Russell but as long as Hamilton's future is unclear, Bottas' value remains quite high because you don't want to be in the position where both go at the same time or you, you let Bottas go and Hamilton chooses to go on his own volition and you're sat there going into the new season with two rookie or two new drivers to Mercedes. They are going to want to avoid that as much as they possibly can. So as as long as Hamilton doesn't sign a three-year deal... Bottas's position is alright, but of course that's not his decision, he's just got to rely on Hamilton for that I think he's not actually helped though overall Bottas by his old team, Williams because George Russell being in the Williams whilst he's getting F1 experience, he's not getting a right lot of F1 experience because he's so often at the back not fighting anyone and you can, you can do one year of that, you can do two years of that. We're now in our third year where that's the case for George Russell now um, and he's just not being thrown into these race situations that the midfield drivers are in constantly and there were signs last year that the the Williams might be getting a bit closer. You know, 2019 was a horrible year. 2020, they didn't score any points but arguably they were a little bit closer but this season, it still doesn't look as if they're, they're making that progress yet and... At some point, Mercedes are going to say, we need him to be in positions. We need him to be in situations. We can't just have him tailing around at the back, doing everything he can in the car, but just completely hamstrung by the machinery that's that's available to him. They're going to have to relent at some point. You know, when that point is, I don't know. So I don't think Bottas has actually helped by that. If you're to compare it to, say, the Alfa Tauri team or the Toro Rosso team as it was... Red Bull—they don't choose to do this quite a lot, but they have the option to be patient with their drivers. You know, they can keep people in Toro Rosso and AlphaTauri for a couple of years and know that they're going to be in a midfield scrap and they're going to finish seventh in the championship. And they're going to be open. Toro Rosso are never or AlphaTauri are never in an awful situation where where Williams are. So I don't think Bottas is helped by that at all. And as for Ocon, I mean, he's probably <laughs> he's probably going to I don't know. Alonso will retire at the end of this year, and Hamilton will probably join him at Alpine. That's that's how bad <laughs> the guy's luck is. I mean, Perez, Ricardo, and then Alonso. You got a feel for the guy somewhat. Poor lad. I mean, he, the way he showed up. I mean, we're going quite a few years back in now, but when he showed up at Manor. And Verline was fairly well respected at the time, and still is now, but Ocon did such a good job coming in against Verline, And this guy is maybe the next big thing. And then it just doesn't happen for him. And then it's just a bad teammate roulette. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's horrible for him.
1: Uh, they'll probably get, like, Alain Prost out of retirement to go against him. They'll just... For-
0: Hey, I, I would love to see Alain Prost in F1 again. That's
1: uh, he was. Um, I think we were both there at Silverstone 2014, and he drove a Red Bull around, and he yes. absolutely caned it. He absolutely smashed
0: it. That was so great. That was so great. It was just a number of different drivers in cars, wasn't it? Sort of going around at a a fairly yeah. standard pace, and then just oh, hang on, here's Alain Prost. <laughs> Here he comes, the professor. I mean, based on it probably not being Alain Prost or Hamilton <laughs> that would that would go into that seat, who does Ocon need to be most worried about? Does he need to be most worried about the likes of Lungard and Guan Yuzhou and and uh, Oscar Piastri in Formula 2? Or does he need to be more worried about, say, a Pierre Gasly, who's quite often linked to making the move?
1: Um, I mean... Uh, War. Well, I mean, Gasly would be a tough teammate, and I have a feeling they didn't used to get on, which would be an interesting yeah. dynamic. But um, I mean, if we, you know, if it, I would not basing things off just one weekend. But Oscar Piastri is very impressive in F two this weekend, um, and you know Yu Zhou as well. He's he's shown his talent. So I would guess one of those one of those F two drivers coming in as rookies. If they came in and and, and beat him. I mean that's that's his stock as a as a decent driver out in the window. So I'd probably go for i probably go for he has to worry, be worried about the rookies, say Alonso does retire and he's still around. Because um, at least we know we know Gasly's a good driver, so if he did get beaten by Gasly you'd go, Well, fair fair dues. But yeah, if a rookie came in that that's definitely bad news for Rock on. But um yeah, hopefully he does enough. I feel for him because I hope he does enough this year against Alonso to prove that he's worthy of you know sticking around for the long term um, and can be there for when Alonso does retire again because he will retire because he's like Kimmy, He's an old man now.
0: Yeah. I think it's almost difficult to compare Ocon and Alonso at that first race because... Yeah, you know, Ocon was actually Ocon was closing on Alonso quite quickly towards the the end of Alonso's race of course because he retired but how much do you read into that based on Alonso having a Tesco meal deal in <laughs> his car like, you, how much was that affecting his pace you can't you can't tell can you so what I mean, kind of meal deal do you reckon it was <laughs> I mean, it's Alonso it's going to be spicy isn't it of course it's going to be spicy yeah spicy sausage sandwich this is the a point tan- where sam... a tango <laughs> <laughs> he would be all over a tango this is the point where sam would definitely say that valdry bossas's choice would be like the sort of just ham and nothing else sandwich. <laughs> oh my like... god <laughs> you know it's true and as in like sam would suggest it
1: yeah, it, that exactly. It'd be a, a just ham sandwich. It'd be bottled water and <laughs> and some plain nuts, or something like
0: that. <laughs> oh, it's almost as if he never left. Yeah, see, oh. I mean, yeah, that. with with the Ocon situation, like you've got the problem is compared to like the Ferrari Driver Academy, as we've already discussed, you can have. Mick Schumacher go to Haas and you can maybe have Robert Schwartzman go to Alfa Romeo as well this year or whoever performs well in that academy. Renault don't have that luxury. I did see some wild rumours that that Williams might be in place to be a Renault junior team at some point. I think they were quashed fairly quickly but it it kind of highlights the fact that Renault uh, Alpine don't really have an outlet for these junior drivers other than just straight-up promoting them to the overall team. So, you know, Lungard, Guanyu Zhou, Piastri, I think all three of them have got F1 potential. But what do you do with them? Do you, do you go for it straight away? Do you try and weasel them into a different team? It's difficult.
1: Yeah, that is a fair point, especially on the fact they don't have a junior team at all. Um, that's a, That's quite a disadvantage for for Alpine I was intrigued do they have an Alpine engine now or is it still a Renault engine what do they call that good question not actually sure about that okay fair maybe it's a baguette
0: uh, it could be it could be I mean the the one left over from Alonso's meal deal maybe it's maybe it's that that's <laughs> getting it along the straights
1: <laughs> oh god
0: Uh, You know what I love? Because we'll we'll round things off here, but I do love that even in the absence of Sam, we have ended on a ridiculous note, which kind of proves maybe (laughs) that we're we're, we're actually no better than him.
1: Maybe we're the problem. That's embarrassing.
0: Maybe. Maybe. All hail Sam. Anyway, I'm sure he'll be (laughs) back for uh, next week's podcast. Um, I'd usually hand over to Sam now. It feels weird. Oh, yeah. What do you do? What do I do? Should I just speak into the abyss i i have no idea um yeah we'll be back (laughs) next week for the podcast um and then when it does roll around we'll be previewing imola and reviewing that one on the sunday of the race uh but until next time keep breaking late
1: sports social podcast network